Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We are grateful to have Alejandra Ramos Gomez back for her fourth installment um, that is focused on her new book of poems, uh, Imperfecta. And I'm just really excited to talk about um, something that is very dear to the hearts of our Wellness for Educators community, and that is mental health, which is one of the themes that you share in your book. So Alejandra, thank you so much for, again, for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do the this final uh, part of the book and just kind of uh, bringing everything together. Awesome. We are so grateful for you to be here. Um, so we were just talking before <laughs> we started recording, and I would love to kind of go back to that because I think it does, like you said, have something to do with mental health and well-being, and that is like the retelling of our stories and or our experiences and how sometimes that can be a re-traumatizing um, event for us. Um, and I definitely want you to, to share if you would like to your experience with that. I, I and, and you, you were saying like, oh, I don't know if this makes sense. And it does. <laughs> I actually experienced this I would say about a month ago, and you know, I, I enjoy telling my story because it's really one of the foundational pieces for why I really wanted to start Wellness for Educators. And um, during one of the times when I was telling it, I actually went a little bit deeper into the experience and I've actually shared, you know, within our Giving Tuesday campaign a little bit more about my experience. And in that process, I started to have a little bit more anxiety than I was used to. Um, and so I, um, you know, through the learning of somatic psychology, we talk a lot about this idea of, of pendulation. And so I was able to kind of like feel like, okay, I'm feeling the anxiety come up and having that inner awareness of like, I feel the anxiety coming up, but everything is okay. And then like kind of coming back. And coming back into that window of tolerance, which we talk about too within our within our programming and and then being able to like, okay, I can still share, but I do it in such a way where it's I keep an awareness of myself and make sure that I'm keeping healthy. So I would love to, I I totally like <laughs> that resonated with me when you told me about your story. So I would love to for you to share that experience as well so that people can know that they're not alone in that. Yes. I I think, you know, mental health has been um, uh, a topic that I, I think ever since I received support, I've been purposeful in sharing uh, because I know, especially, you know, in my community and in the Latino communities and the immigrant communities, there's still such a big stigma around it and just asking for help uh, and even having conversations about it. So for me, it's always important to uh, to bring these conversations to the table, uh, I guess from like a, from my place of, of of privilege and access, right? That that I have support from my family and from people around me. Um, but another way that I always do it is it's through art and through poetry. And in the last few months, I've realized also with with the book, you know, and, and I and I love my book, and I and I wrote it during the pandemic. So sometimes I think, wow. 
I feel like I wish it was happier in some parts, but I also understand the the moment when it was written that we were all going through, and we're still all going through very difficult times. Um, but I've realized that with the writing that many times, uh, and I guess that happens to a lot of artists that we write about something that brings us pain um, as a way to heal. Uh, but then it becomes the main topic and and I feel like you get you get lost a little bit in becoming like the spoke person for that issue. And and it's a, a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. And I um I mean the, this this example is it's a little bit disconnected, but it's also connected. I, you know, I met I met a, a young a, a young like teenager, a couple of, of like a month ago, uh, who is also from my hometown. And I was having this conversation with him and I asked him, um, he's going to college soon. So I asked, what do you want to study? What do you want to do? And he told me I want to be an immigration lawyer because my family was deported. And I, you know, even though it's very, it's different to my story, I kept thinking about it because I kept thinking what a heavy weight for him to decide his life based on what happened. And on this like very big, you know, trauma for his whole family where now he has to fix it. Um, and that's how I felt a lot many times with my art or with my poetry that I feel this responsibility to speak about it because, because I have the, the outlet or the platform to do it. Uh, but it can become so overwhelming that um, then the, your identity kind of becomes that trauma. Uh, so I think it's hard for me lately. I've been trying to find a way to balance acknowledging what has happened and, you know, and how that has also just created who I am and what I'm passionate about, but understanding that it is also okay to create art that I guess not only hope because hope sounds very, you know, uh, but that, that I can inspire others to, yes, talk about these issues, but also talk from them from a place of self-care, and especially as activists or people that are advocating about these issues. Many times we have such a weight in our shoulders to talk about this that we forget that self-care is there too. I think self-care many times, and as educators, as you know, as artists, we see it as something that's separate, as something that is from this time to this time, but it's hard to really embed it in our lives and in our creations. So very honestly, I am I am finding that balance. Uh, and I think like I'm always, we're always all kind of finding it. We know we come and go. Uh, and when you were mentioning even that uh, pendulum, um, pendulo, we say in Spanish. So yes. It's definitely a lot like that, but I think like self-awareness is that very big, important part for, for artists, for educators, for students. So always going back to that. Yeah. I love that idea of, of kind of like the balance within telling the story to talk about, like, this is my, this is the reason why of who I am, like you said, and then like um, balance with the self-care, but then also like your, you know, part of trauma healing or part of prolonged stress healing is about that point at which 
you take your power back, you know, cause if, you know, in, in a lot of our trauma experiences, we lose our voice, we lose our, we lose our power. And, um, and in this way, showing that growth by way of like taking time to take care of yourself, it actually like gets you into that space of resilience and not resilience in, uh, I know a lot of people have like kind of looked at that as a bad word, but to be honest, it's like, it's that post-traumatic growth. It's that giving you the power to take the time to heal. And then also to get to that next place of thriving um, and knowing that that part, that part of you that was, uh, had the event of trauma, had the event of prolonged stress, that you were able to work through it, to take the time to acknowledge that you needed that space to heal and then get onto the other side. And, and not to say that trauma and prolonged stress goes away, but it, it definitely diminishes over time if you take the time to heal it for sure. Yes. And, and something that has always helped me and more lately, I think has been, um, and you know, and I'm a person of words. So I think it, it's all about how I narrate things in my mind. Um, so for me, even lately, and in the book, I, I, I kind of touch about it. But for me, it has to, it has been turning uh, things like anxiety into understanding the message behind it. So I even I've been changing the word. Uh, we call it mensajera in Spanish, like a messenger. So now for me, I really think whenever that, that I experience it, I think of it as a messenger. And what is it trying to tell me? Where do I need to pay attention? You know, what's happening to my body, to my mind, and really take that time. But I know that as a younger uh, student, and even as an early, you know, uh, of a new educator, I just didn't even have the time to do that because I know because it did require time and it did require a lot of of me even talking to those around me and tell them this is real, this is real and I need support um, and this is not your fault because I know also with mental health and I talk about it in the book too. You know when you talk openly about it, people around you who love you will have this feeling of trying to fix you. And it's a lot of weight on you and on them. Um, so for me, a lot with my writing, it's a way for me to have those internal conversations when I don't want, you know, to put that that heavy weight on everybody else around me. Uh, but also understanding that they're there for me if I need support. And that's really important too. Yeah, I think the, the other thing too that is, I, I love the the messenger piece. That is amazing, and that that has a lot to do with like the somatics, and that's like really an embodied practice. Like you're you're checking in with your body, saying, "Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, body, mind, and spirit. What's going in? We're checking in. <laughs> how's everything going? Um, you know, what can I do to support you?" There's this mantra of not enough in a lot of the language, speaking of language, like you said, like the choice of words, the way that we narrate what's happening around us right now in education. And I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox, but you already know what my soapbox is because we've talked about it before. But things like the language that is chosen for um, uh, learning gaps and learning loss for students and how that has such a negative connotation that over the last two years, you've fallen behind, you know, the fallen behind or like you're not enough. So there's like this mantra of not enough over here. 
but there's also a not enough for the educators. There's not enough for the um, the parents too, who have become or who had become and still are uh, co-educators in their in their children's lives. You know, and so I feel like there's this just sense of not enough and like greater expectations in the middle of a pandemic, and it's just um, hoping that going back to your word of, of hope, it's like hoping that uh, the education system really can see this before it's too late. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, we see it every day and I hear about it every day, the attrition rates and also the threats of resigning and that kind of thing. It's just, um, you know, something's got to change and it has to be a big change in order for educators to, as you mentioned, feel valued and would love to hear your thoughts on on that value piece because I think that is critical. Being heard, being valued, um, being seen, um, being appreciated, I think is really important right now. Yes, no, I I completely agree. I think that that word appreciated is um, sounds like a very simple world word, but it it takes a lot and it takes a, a lot of time and effort um, and. Now that I was listening to you talk about this, I kept thinking about intersectionality. I think that that's such a thing that always comes to my mind uh, because I'm even thinking, you know, about the experience as a female educator talking about these topics and being invited to talk about it, but being seen as vulnerable or as less or as weak as soon as you share them. Uh, so I know there there's a lot with even with with our society, and I see this also in Mexico and other countries where. Uh, you are invited to talk about it, but not that much. There's a limit. There's a limit uh, also with the students. And, and I think it's also a lot about trust. Um, another word that comes to mind is trust, specifically in, in education, with knowing that, that, you're trying, that you're trying your best, but not being enough. Um, and that even that kind of goes with the with the title of the book. That's why I wrote the title Imperfecta, because it's always a constant look for, to be perfect, and it's unrealistic, and it brings so much stress and so so just so so many issues to our lives. Um, with always looking for that, and and in my opinion, you know, and in my experience in the education system, uh, and even the way things are graded, they are created for that perfect idea of how we should be and how every person should be and how each educator should be and even assessment, right? The assessment of, of if you're being effective or not as an educator that, in my opinion, is very subjective. But whenever we are being evaluated, that is not being taken into account. And even as educators, in my experience, whenever I you know decided to transition, I did it thinking of my students and what they were seeing. Because also, you know, and going back to intersectionality, for me, even as an immigrant, like the idea of quitting was not even in the vocabulary. I never heard even the word quit uh, in my household. Uh, and, and I took a lot of pride in it for a long time of I never quit. I always say yes. I always, you know, try in all of this. But it wasn't until I had a conversation with my therapist a couple of years ago that she told me you have the right to quit to things that are not good for you. That really changed everything for me. Just that word right. Uh, because I never felt like I had the right to make that decision for me. 
because I always had to to adjust to everything that was expected around me, and especially as an educator, when I'm trying to be the best for my students and and do well, so I'm not you know so I'm not getting in trouble, but I'm feeling like. Like it's not, it's not okay. And that's when I transitioned because I decided I don't want my students to see, to see someone staying in something just because I have to, but not being okay. And I know they're very little and, you know, my students were little and I don't know when, if they're going to see this someday or if they're going to understand that someday, but I wanted them to see that it's okay to quit things that are not good for you in that moment and to let go. And that is being brave too. Because we always have this idea of being brave, of just staying there, staying there and being strong and being strong. But then, but then, it, but then it becomes pretending you are being strong and putting this facade. And um, this really reminds me, I don't know, and I'm connecting it to something else. But a couple of years ago, I did an activity with, uh, with my students when I was probably that was like five, six years ago, but with some fourth graders. And I did this, like the mask activity that is very popular where you write things that you show others and things that you hide from others. And a lot of my students were writing, like I hide that I'm vulnerable. I hide that I'm sweet. Uh, And that was very eye-opening to me because we, we all do that, right? We all have that facade. And as an educator, it's very hard to to remove that in the classroom, especially when you want to be strong for your students. And then especially when you are in a moment like the pandemic where you don't know what's going on, they don't know what's happening, their parents don't know what's happening. We're all, we don't have control of it, but but somehow you still have to be the one that is in control and that knows it all. So I think it's a lot of weight. It's a it's heavy weight and, and it's a lot of expectation for for one person for 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 just any any human in my opinion. So I I really appreciated the um the different places you went with your previous response. I think like one the boundaries situation which is the ones that you just mentioned most recently it's like I think it's really hard to create those when, like you said, you you want to say yes, you want to support all of the things, but it's like, as you are doing that, you're also letting yourself down in terms of like giving yourself space to be. Um, I had a counselor a while ago tell me, when you say no to someone else, you are saying yes to yourself. And I felt like that has been something that I have kept in my mind because <laughs> I am one of the people like you who are just kind of like, oh, yes, yes, I can do this. Oh, yes, sure. I can do that, too. Of course. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't need to have sleep. What's that? <laughs> like, So it's and I mean, a lot of it, <laughs> excuse me, also comes from just being like wicked passionate about what I do. But at the same time, obviously, like in order to keep doing what I'm doing, like I have to take care of myself too. So it's like, it's that struggle between that space. I think the other thing that you brought up was like trust. And I think in relation to that is safety and safety in that space, um, whether it be your own learning environment or in the larger system itself. And I feel like if there's not that safety to be able to take down your mask, you know, and show 
those vulnerable sides, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to, to share that part of yourself. And um, what I do think with, with the vulnerability piece, especially when we're showing our colleagues and our students, and I, we've had this happen um, in a number of different sessions that we've done, but where people have just been like, oh my God, when I shared that I was not doing okay, everybody was like, what? We had no idea. <laughs> like, oh my God, thank you so much for letting us know. And it changed the culture of the space that they were in. And they were just really just astonished about it. But I'm I'm thinking like that safety and that trust to be open and to be honest and say, I'm not okay and I need support. And, and to your point about like it being hard to ask for help, you know, that's a really hard piece too. And I think I just really appreciate you sharing those pieces because I think it's um, for educators, I think that's like all of those ones that you just shared are very common themes that I've heard continuously over and over again. Right now, when you were sharing, I just kept thinking the same phrase. I think we've shared it before, maybe in the other episodes of how that wellness is an active process because the acknowledging part, I feel like also in social and emotional learning and, you know, and in schools, Sometimes it's hard for us as educators and, and leaders, and and I can and I can empathize with leaders because I know that they have so so many things that are being asked to do, and and you know and they have they have so much on their plate too. But sometimes it stays in the acknowledgement, and when it doesn't move to the action portion, I think that that's when that part of feeling undervalued and underappreciated comes, uh, especially when you're being vulnerable and you open up. You know, sharing. I I won't go very 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 personal into it, but but a very a very uh, simple example for me was the school year of 2020 when when the school year started, and for some reason though that first month I became kind of like the spokesperson for SEL, and I was appearing in, in a lot of different like TV shows for like a week. I I don't know what happened. They needed someone who could talk about it, and I, I guess I was there. But it was one of the roughest weeks for me, emotionally, like social and emotional. I, I was really struggling and I was appearing on TV talking about this and the importance of it when I was struggling with one of the roughest times for me. And, and that was really, really difficult because I think that lack of, of being congruent as well as educators happens so much, uh, but you reach a limit. And when, and when you pass that, it's, it's very difficult to even look back and to, and, to, and to remember why you do what you do, right? Because that love and like you mentioned, that passion, and I completely agree. I'm the same way whenever I love something or I'm passionate about something. I want to do it all the time, all day, every day. But I think when, when that thin line passes of why am I doing this, uh, it's hard to go back. It's hard to go back. And then, and then it feels... For me, many times it feels like I'm acting, but acting can be exhausting, too, can be exhausting too when you're acting in your real life. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think like the, the idea of kind of taking a step back and it's, it's that pendulation piece too. It's like, you know, coming back and like waiting a bit. And I think too, it's, it's hard to do that even because then you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm falling behind everything. Like, you know, um, so there's that struggle too, but I think 
to the point of your book, it's like, we can't be perfect and it's okay not to be perfect. And it's actually better to, to kind of like be in that space of like, I can't take that on. Um, no, I would love to, but here, here's another person that would be really, you know, great at this and they're available would be wonderful to like connect you with that person. And, you know, it's just, you know, that passion can kind of get you in trouble sometimes um, for what you, what you really love doing. But at the same time, like you said, if you're go, 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 it can be a point of where you need to kind of step back from that. So I I appreciate that because it definitely resonates with me for sure. Do you want to share something that um, has to do with mental health from your, from your poems? Yes. Okay. Awesome. And I can, um, and yeah, so, so this is like the last part of the book, um, Imperfecta, it's called Imperfecta, that part, uh, because of that, and it's just a space dedicated to all of those moments where I felt like I always had to be perfect. And then the other part of the book too, has some like simple kind of like meditations, conversations, and that is me just trying to have more fun. Uh, with my writing and staying away from, uh, you know, just like typical poetry that I always grew up seeing and reading and trying to, to explore. Yeah, so but I will read um, one part of the book, one part of uh, this, this poem or this piece, it was just like a letter that I that I wrote to depression. (laughs) And this is a letter to depression. Dear everyday companion, I'm not writing to reproach you for anything because we both know that it is convenient for us to be united. We have known each other for a long time. And although there are times when I like you, I must confess that I confuse you with my eternal arch enemy. I spent most of my life hiding, but it became too exhausting. I couldn't hide our habits of sleeping, crying and overthinking. I don't tell everyone about our friendship because they wouldn't understand us, but I think it's healthy to do so. Sometimes I talk about us in satire. I believe that laughing at that makes me feel stronger, or at least I pretend to be. If we're going to live together, we're going to live well. How about we listen to each other a little more? In exchange, I ask that little by little, and we stop thinking about about more. I promise to see you more as a friend and see the good that is in you. You are a source of inspiration. There is no doubt about that. I hope we talk soon. Not really, but I only include it as a mere formality. Uh-huh. Your life love friend. It was just a little trying to be a little, a little like fun, you know, with what I write. And then this is another one. It's uh, 73, and that's called Things I've Heard About Mental Health. Get busy. You'll forget about it. Everyone has problems. This is a rich people issue. Be positive. Anyone can do it. Think of others. Your situation is not that bad. Breathe, meditate. It's simple. My response? I will not forget about it because my body deserves to be heard. We are all different. My problems do not diminish yours. Mental health is universal. What is your definition of richness, a capitalistic approach? I can do it if I address it. I can't think of others if I don't take care of my health first. It is not simple, but it is not impossible. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Thank you so much for sharing these. 
in the letter to depression, uh, you know, the, the first thing that I think about is the conversation. I think because oftentimes we ignore our body's messages to us. Um, and I love that you have put this in such a way where it's like, you're not ignoring it, you're, which can be a huge problem. It's more of like a conversation, like, Hey, you know, I see you. I know that you're there. What do you need? You know, and, and really having it be this conversation about what do you need as support in, in that, in the work that you're doing with helping yourself in, in that state. I think to the, the, the things I've heard about mental health, oh my gosh, like over and over again, like the one, um, the one Dr. Um, Vincent Folletti, he talks about the ACEs study. And one of the things he says that is like a universal, like, this is what people say about mental health. It's like, time will heal all wounds. <laughs> and it's like, nothing's going to heal all wounds unless you do the work, you know, and it is, it's not simple, like you said, but it is possible. And so I, I love that you are kind of talking about that the body deserves to be heard. I think it, again, it brings up that conversation piece. It's like, I'm listening, I'm aware that there's something going on and I need to support it, whatever that happens to be. I just love the way that you approach it is very much uh, that embodied space that, um, which really speaks to your, your dance background too, I think, and your, your um, background as a, as an artist too. And I think it just is so important for us to really think about it being a mind body connection, that it's not just what's happening in the mind. It's very much connected to listening to what your body is feeling as well. Yes. I, I, I agree 100% with that. You know, with the, with the body, it wasn't until some, a few years ago that I was, I was struggling with, with a lot of anxiety more than anything, you know, being assimilating, being alone, had some, um, my family had some medical issues. They were away from me. I, I couldn't go back home in that time. So it was just a lot of different things. and. I remember the specific time that I was having a lot of anxiety. I really didn't understand where it was coming from, uh, but I started moving. And since then, for me, it's always been movement. I think it just really helps me ground myself, understand my body. And it's one of the only things that helps help me. So I'll be walking around, I'll be dancing around. And I think that's, we're all different. And, and it's about listening uh, listening to your body and, and self-compassion, because I know sometimes it's easy for me to move and, and I, I understand what's happening and I move and I feel great. And then there's some days when even that doesn't work. So I think also recognizing those moments of, Hey, today, my body needs to just sleep or not think, or not have conversations or interactions. And that's okay too. Uh, I know, I was like, I always go back to thinking like me as an educator, I know as an educator, it was harder because I couldn't do that during the day where I couldn't say, Hey, don't talk to me <laughs> because <laughs> I needed to teach. But I think finding those little like pockets of, you know, that moment of calmness, I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. But it is, 
it is a decision and it's a difficult decision because like you were mentioning earlier with the saying, saying no to someone and saying yes to yourself. Well, sometimes people won't like that. No, but I think it's also a good lesson and, and it takes time. Maybe it also takes time for people to understand, Hey, now this person is setting those limits and setting those boundaries. And as an educator, even when I, when I talk to fellow educators now, and we talk about mental health, I think I, I like to be very real with them and I like to tell them, you know, as an educator, I knew all the strategies, I read about it, I, you know, had the certifications maybe or the experience, but it wasn't until I said, I'm going to set those boundaries that it worked. And maybe I, I was perceived before that of being like a teacher of the year and fantastic. And then after that, maybe I wasn't perceived the same way, but that's okay. I think it's about choosing your battles and and that goes back to my to my book in Perfecta of I'm pretending to be perfect for everybody else, but th but that's not real. So accepting that I am perfect for myself will maybe push some people away, but I know it will it will bring those people who truly care and who will listen and who who will try to understand what what I'm going through and what others are going through, and that's the most valid thing. And and I think having patience for others not trying to push it because I know that's also another thing with mental health. And even when I talk to my mom about it, you know, and I'm going to another topic, but when, when I was first, when I first went to the neurologist or uh, to therapy and I had like a diagnosis and then I had some support, my, my mother thought that it was, everything was fixed. And after that, when she talks to other, other people that their children might go through the same thing, she says, oh, it's very easy. You just take them to the doctor and do this. So I think even that has, it's like a constant thing of talking to those that I love of, hey, yes, I, I am improving, but this is an active process. And it does take me setting those boundaries and, and some days are better than others. And, and that's okay. Yeah, I love this. And I, I feel like, um that idea of people pleasing. Like I, <laughs> I have been in that space myself and sometimes still am, but being everything to everyone, similar to that idea of like saying, saying no to others is saying yes to yourself. It's like being everything to everyone. You lose yourself in the frenzy of that because it's like, who am I being to myself? You know, am I being true to everything that I need Am I listening to my body, like you said? And then also, like you said, listening to what you need at the time. Because I think oftentimes in our society, we're like encouraged to just ignore, <laughs> you know, what is happening within us in order to get everybody else okay. You know, and especially as educators, that is, and caregivers, it's just kind of like this constant of like, external focus rather than internal focus. And a lot of times people say, oh, the internal focus, that's so selfish. Uh, no, <laughs> because you're not going to be able to be there fully for others until you're taking care of yourself fully. Um, and so I just feel like the boundary setting, like you said, it's really hard. It's really hard, especially if people are so used to you saying yes to everything, it's kind of like a renegotiation of your of who you are, of your identity in those in different intersectionalities as well, as you mentioned before. So I just want to say thank you so much for this beautiful piece of art that you are sharing. If you can tell everybody one more time the URL for where they can go to purchase this, that would be wonderful. And 
would love to have you back again and again, um, just to share your story. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And and before I share uh, the link, I just wanted to say one last thing. And that is that I think with, with setting boundaries, people might not be happy with you, with people setting boundaries at first, but I think it's also a good lesson for others. I think being explicit about why that boundary is being created can be really helpful for others who are trying to set those boundaries too, especially in education and even with parents, because it is a team, but there needs to be some some boundaries of, of when it's your self-care time, your personal time, your family time. And I think that, that helps them to uh, see an example of setting boundaries and also for students for students uh, setting that that example and hopefully supporting the idea that later on they can set their own boundaries for their own health. And yes, and Imperfecta, you know, it was written for that. It was written for all those perfectly imperfect people uh, who are trying to find their voice and who, you know, are just learning as they go, <laughs> learning as they go, as we all are doing. Uh, and yes, Imperfecta can be found on my website, which is a Ramos Gomez. So my my first initial and my two last names, aramosgomez.com.com. Um, and yes, right there is Imperfecta. Yes, everything Imperfecta bilingual poetry collection. Awesome. And we'll have that on the landing page for the four part series of podcasts. And going back to Alejandra, what you mentioned about the boundary setting too. It's, it's when you're setting that example, you're giving people permission to do the same. Um, so I love, I absolutely love that. And especially setting the example for your students, I think is critical because I think there's just so much of, of the people pleasing and the pushing through, um, that we see in our society and, and setting that at an early age, I think is really important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.